The Artist Road Podcast, hosted by Minus and Disguise. Welcome everyone to The Artist Road. My name is Disguise. Minus is currently hanging his artwork for First Friday, so he's not with me. So today it will be myself, and here with me via Skype is Jonathan from Rondo. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I am doing very well in you, Disguise. Ah, uh, you know, I'm doing well, doing well. It's been a, it's been a, a great week. Um, thank Excellent. you for, yeah, thank you for being here with us today. Um, it's a pleasure. Yes. Uh, well, will you kind of let everyone know what it is that you do and where you, who you yeah. are? Sure, I will do. Um, right, so my name's Jonathan. I'm from Rondo. And um, as you might hear from my accent, I'm not from England. I'm actually from South Africa originally, um, currently living in Israel. And um, if we go back a, a couple of years in South Africa... Um, I actually come from a mobile tech background. I used to work for um, the mobile networks there in South Africa called Vodacom, then on to uh, Panasonic, and then Motorola, and then Nokia. So um, in Motorola and Nokia is where I cut my, um, my music strings, so to speak, um, and got really involved in product marketing and events and music because we did a lot of collaborative um, product launches and activations. And um, I guess I've always been a music fan, right? And um, so working with musicians and artists, um, bands, and doing all of these events led me on this journey, um, which I never thought I would actually be in. Um, because a lot of my job was very corporate, you know, doing corporate golf days as well. And there was more a corporate environment, whereas now um, um, I would say it's much more relaxed. There's no suits and ties involved anymore at all. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, that sounds, sounds pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it gives a certain amount of freedom for sure in lifestyle. So if we, we go from there where I was in a corporate environment, um, but at the same time doing a lot of music and events and things like fashion weeks in South Africa, um, product launches working with the likes of Puma clothing and um, Mini Cooper. Uh, one of the fun things we did in back in the day was the launch of the Mini Cooper convertible. So we'd come up with a campaign, um, and it was fun because we got to spend their money but have a lot of fun doing it. So we incorporated, because at the time um, we were doing work with uh, some musicians, and in fact the one group is called Goldfish. It's two guys, and they're um, very prolific in the music scene back in South Africa, and they had some success in internationally as well. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. They're, they're like a, a live uh, deep house funk group. They play live instruments and, and decks as well. Um, so they were sponsored by Mini Cooper. And so what we did was a, um, a month-long campaign where they were playing every Sunday at a very swanky venue on the beach in Cape Town. 
Wow. We branded the Mini Coopers. We had activations on the beaches. So loads of you know consumer-facing fun. And then the winners each week got a VIP experience, got to meet the artists, got to um, you know have a good time with them for one night and, and so on. Um, so that's the type of activities that I used to do. Um, and from there, I think it really sort of, um, you know, in the back of my mind, it was a case of maybe one day I will do more in the music industry. Um, so I started doing a lot of music-related events back in South Africa. Um, but then I moved to Israel. And then in Israel, I went back into the corporate side. And after two years, I couldn't take the corporate stuff anymore. Um, it was a good job. It was travel. Um, but it it didn't spark any passion, right? Um, so I didn't feel like it was going anywhere. So I took a chance and went in on my own. Um, I formed a company, a project called Global Music Collective or GMC. But because GMC is a well-known brand in America, right? Um, I didn't want to take a chance down the line if the company got very successful. So we changed the name to Rondo. Um, and uh, the idea with Rondo, the, the name comes from, um, let me just pull up this, the etymology of Rondo. Yeah. It's, um, it's French part equivalent Rondo. Uh, words that have been used in music in a number of ways, most often in reference to a musical form or term, um, the character or type of a distinct form. Um, but essentially the root of that is bringing different music forms together. And so in my interpretation of Rondo, it's about bringing people from different sectors of music all together. Right, so like artists together with labels, um, artists together with artists to collaborate on productions. So that is the the genesis of Rondo, and um, essentially we connect people together. That was the original idea, and to do bookings for artists and to help promote emerging talent worldwide on on a platform. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, has that still been the, like, is that still your primary focus then with Rondo? Uh, well, it's changed over the years because, you know, the music industry is a very tough industry to yeah. break into and to, to have longevity and actually to make money in as well. So for most of the six years that Rondo has been around, it's been self-funded, and I've always had to have other jobs where possible um, and continue to support the artists that I've worked with. But it's, it's really been rudimentary in a way, just you know, social media plat um, distribution of content. So we work a lot with Mixcloud. Mixcloud are a sponsor of sorts of Rondo, so we have a good... Uh, long-term relationship with Mixcloud. Our guest mixes are always featured by them. Uh, we do several a week. And so um, our guest DJs from all over the world, from, from Africa to Russia to China to Japan, Europe, America, everywhere, there's about 300 to 400 
DJs, producers that I've worked with over the years. Um, and many, several have become very good friends of mine, and that's good because it's, it's difficult to build relationships over the internet, right? Um, but I digress a bit. In, in terms of making money from what, you know, the core, what Rondo was, it has never made any significant revenue, right? Um, and so it has been a challenge in terms of figuring out, well, where is the sweet spot in this, what we are doing and where we can add value to the market. Um, so for the last couple of years, it's really just been about promoting the artists and there was no revenue at all. Yeah. Um, but I've always been interested in blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And so now we actually have put the foundation in place in order to create a cryptocurrency called R&D. And that will be sort of the fuel that will drive this engine forward. Um, and the plan that we have in mind is to utilize our cryptocurrency um, to benefit musicians all over the world on one user-friendly platform yeah that's kind of where we're going right now yeah i i uh i love that idea i mean i am very new to crypto and it's kind of crazy because a bunch of it or not like a lot of things involving it came into my life really at the same time and that was with you that was with one of my other friends a couple things and so now i went from very little knowledge and now I've just been like diving into it and learning because I'm trying to catch up and understand everything but um, what you're doing with uh, you know using R&D coin is that is it, like, is it just R&D or do you say R&D coin what's the proper um, R&D token token cool. yeah so, All right, thank so you. think of it as a tokenizing music industry right um, if I could go into this sort of part of the music industry yes. where you have streaming, you've got the big players, Spotify and others, um, they're making all the money. The monopolies make the money and then artists get pennies on the dollar, uh, yeah. if that. And the payment turnaround times can be anywhere from six months to two years and then you get a check with a couple of pennies on it. Uh. It's it's not value. It's not adding value to the artist no. by then giving their content, their creative essence away um, and hopefully, you know, generating some revenue later. In the meantime, they actually have to um, have other jobs and or rely on other ways of generating income through their music from gigs, you know, doing appearances and, and other types of activities which um, takes away from the artist being the artist, right? Um, and today with social media, you know, an artist has to be a social media guru, marketing management, all of these different things rolled into one. And um, it's quite daunting and I'm sure quite challenging, especially if you're a new artist, you're trying to break in somewhere, in some genre. Um, there are a lot of challenges and roadblocks. Um, 
So through through cryptocurrency or digital currency, as I like to refer, because it's got less of a negative connotation than crypto as such, um, there is opportunity to create wealth, right? Um, imagine a scenario where it will get there because the the future is digital currency. Um, money as we know it, fiat currency, has been around for a couple of hundred years now, but it's no longer tied to gold, and um, there is inflation inherently built into it. And then there are a lot of gatekeepers. So your money is not your own. We're always paying money to other people to manage our or host our money. Now with um, blockchain technology and crypto, um, digital currencies, we're able to take ownership of our own. So we, I, we call it custodial ownership, right? Um, so in a way, you can actually bypass or do do without third-party interventions, okay? And that, to me, is very appealing because it gives us, us the ability to have more freedom in our lives in terms of not having to be tied to a regulation um, or to an institution, all right? And um, the underlying technology allows value to be transferred from one person to another anywhere in the world, anytime, in seconds. And that is an amazing advance in, in the opportunity or the, the technology for us. Imagine a scenario where you have a bunch of fans, they're coming to you, your gig, um, they want to support you with a little extra because the promoters are making all the money and they pay the artist, right? Uh, I hear stories sometimes or many times, newer or emerging artists, they go play a gig, they have to make concessions. They would say to, you know, sort of have to sell tickets in order to get on the decks. Um, or they have a very low um, fee for the gig just to be on the lineup. So that's a challenge for new artists. But now if artists have got um, a platform where they can generate revenue, which can almost be like passive revenue, then it gives them uh, extra financial security in a way, right? And um, that's one of the elements we're looking at, how we can, can take advantage of that to benefit artists. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's really cool. So with um, how, what would be a way that the artist or I mean, and maybe you're obviously could still be working on this, but what would be a way that the artist could um, earn revenue differently with this or um, to where it actually goes to them? Like, I guess a scenario or like a if you have a couple um, or even just one like yeah. that would be used that the artist could really use it kind of like I just walk through it I guess or just something like that just to understand too you know because obviously my head's going crazy with all these ideas so I just want to like get like clear with with that too because I'm kind of asking for myself also <laughs> yeah okay um I've got nine 
highlight points here that I could share with you, all right? Awesome. So the and and the first two are, are I think the most important. So currently let let's look at the the ecosystem currently, the blockchain music crypto space or digital currency space. So there are multiple companies that are developing um, different types of projects, from streaming projects to um, rights and music management, and then the distribution of revenue, or you know, rights pay, payment and ownership using the blockchain technology. So the blockchain is essentially a ledger. Um, it's going to be a case of we use Google search. But we don't need to know, we don't even think about how the algorithm works. We're just using Google to search something, we type in anything, it spits out the results. The same thing will happen with regards to the digital currency and blockchain. Um, it, it will be ubiquitous, right? So um, let's have a look at, let's say we've got, um, I've got a little list here of about 20 different companies that are doing streaming, publishing, and distribution rights, and then live entertainment and social. Um, now, these companies are using the blockchain, which is this distributed ledger, as the foundation for their applications, right? So what does that mean? It, it means, on the one hand, on the technology side, they've got distributed computers that are, so it's not a one server, right? Because, you know, if you all centralized platforms are vulnerable to hacking and um, other nefarious activities, right? Um, now, with the distributed uh, decentralized systems, platforms, the uh, platform becomes much more resilient, much more secure, and also can work 24-7, and even if one node or distribution node in that decentralized network goes down, it doesn't fail because there's still backups, there's others. So if we go to streaming, as an example, uh, a company called Tune, C-H-O-O-N, that is, uh, one of the founders is Gareth Emery, and he's a very well-known trans DJ. Um, so they essentially doing direct artists upload their original content onto the platform and they have a very easy form, uh, easy to fill in form where they can then say, right, uh, you know, 50% goes to me, 20% uh, goes to my co-writer or co-producer, another 5% will go to um, someone else if they use this track in a playlist on the platform. So there, the artist is in charge, in, in control of who is getting a share of the revenue from the streaming, right? Now, with your traditional um, streamers, Spotify, you don't have that ability. There's no, um, you know, once you give your music over to them, that's it. You, you don't have further control. And so I think this is a, a major opportunity where artists can have more ownership and control over what happens with their music and where it gets distributed or played. So what what happens then is the music is put up. Um, any stream, whether day or night, um, generates cryptocurrency, right? Because that's proof of work. 
So what happens with that, let's, for, for simple, simplicity's sake, yeah, let's just call it the digital token, gets distributed in real time after the person has played, you, your fan or the listener has played the track. Within 24 hours, um, the tokens are distributed according to that simple form that the artist completed when they uploaded the track. So long story short, uh, it's really much better than waiting six months, a year, two years to get pennies on the dollar. So uh, okay. that's one use case, right? So you're uploading your music, you're inputting your um, distribution of the, the revenue, and then any stream immediately generates the income. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. No, that's really so, cool. Yeah. So that's one use case. Then um, the other would be with publishing and distribution rights. So here these companies, you would register a track on there and they have their network like a regular publisher, but here the money it doesn't take six months to a year for the revenue to come back to the artist right because it's tokenized so um, payments happen in real time when the music is distributed and then the portions of the revenues are paid to whoever was on that particular uh, contract for that song or track um, so again, it's, it's reducing all the clutter and it's, it's simplifying processes, but it's also very, um, secure. Yeah. Um, sweet. No, that's really cool. Uh, okay. if, if I, okay. So in, in like label terms, so like yeah. if I, uh, you know, had that, had it, linked up or there's the feature of that that once those artists made those sales then it would get distributed within 24 hours and it's not like they have to wait like we can it, you know essentially in theory like we you know uh once those sales happen for those songs on beatport or whatever and are tracked they get paid and they don't have to wait until like we get a check from the distribution company if you know if it goes into crypto and through the blockchain instead of like a PayPal cash payment. Yeah. Also, you know, if you think about PayPal and, and Venmo and so on, they are th considered third party payment gateways, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, recently I, I saw on a YouTube, uh, a YouTuber had, um, used, he gets paid in cryptocurrency, digital currency. Um, and he was trying to transfer some money to PayPal in order to then use it to pay his, um, you know, ex monthly expenses and so on. Um, but it was a lot of money. So PayPal decided to block his account, send him a message saying that um, there was suspicious activity on his account. So they have blocked it um, for 180 days. And he doesn't have access to that money for 180 days. Now, what oh, gives what? PayPal the right to do that? Yeah. Okay. Um, and what is the the user's recourse?
for a situation like that. And now he's got, he said, about 5,000 euro or pounds sitting there that he was relying on. And now he's had to, you know, figure out other ways to utilize other money and so on. And he said many of his regular bank accounts had been closed because um, they don't accept digital currency, right? Um, but the point is that institutions are putting roadblocks up. As fast as the industry is growing, it's an, it is a um, it's not a challenge. It is it's seen as the enemy. What's another word I'm looking for? Um, you know, it's competition, and they don't like the 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 fact that we can own uh, and manage our own money without having or value without having to use the banks, paying high fees for every single thing. Um, it's fundamental, in fact, to the whole premise of uh, self custodianship, right? And um, so the, these are sort of the, the challenges and the philosophical questions about, you know, that's, that's going, that are being talked about a lot. Um, where do you the, draw the line? Why should you as a citizen, uh, you're an artist, you're making music, and we have all of these different entities taking money at every turn. And at the end of the day, as an artist, you get very little. And uh, so this technology has the ability to to completely eradicate that in a way, if it's done carefully and cleverly. I mean, of course, if you're earning currency, no matter what it is, you always have to declare. So tax, as far as tax is concerned, different countries have got different regulations. Um, some see it as a um, as capital gains tax, but only when you actually uh, withdraw and spend it, right? Then you have to pay tax on that. But as long as it remains in a digital currency, you don't have to pay tax. Uh, yeah, but some countries' laws, uh, they tax um, departments see it as um, as property. So they are giving, they're doing, um, they're forcing people to pay property tax on their gains or withdrawals of uh, digital currency. Uh, it's it's a very interesting, um, you know ecosystem and the whole it's so new that governments don't know what to do essentially <laughs> yeah i can put it like that yeah absolutely okay but i think we kind of got <laughs> off track no this is great <laughs> this is fine <laughs> um you asked me about uh you know what are some of the core things that we can do with rondo right so um my mission statement is essentially that um, we, we're going to reduce the friction for artists or musicians across all genre, right? So our platform is open to everybody. You can be a bass player, guitarist, a band member, whatever. Um, and so we're going to reduce friction for artists, musicians earning and using digital currencies in the real world. At the moment, what is happening in the industry um, is those 
companies that are doing well and and building you know uh, solid foundations and have got lots of users um, and engagement. So let's look at Tune. They've got over ten thousand tracks on there. Many many artists as well. So those artists are now earning that digital token from Tune. They call it a note, as in N O T E. Now those notes are kept in a wallet um, in the user profile, right? Like an account. Um, but what do you do with it? So this is where there is confusion, both from the user side and then from the platform side. They're not addressing that next step. And the next step is, well, I've got all this digital currency. Now I want to use it in the real world. Okay. So through Rondo, you'll be able to get a debit card through one of our partners. It's, they call it a crypto debit card. And basically, it's a top-up card. So you would top it up with a different currency. But when you use the debit card, like a MasterCard, right? You go into the store and you pay for something. The store gets fiat currency, but in the back end, the exchange happens. So again, it's like using Google. It's ubiquitous. It's in the back end. You don't even worry about it. That's one option, one uh, of our highlight features. We've got nine key features. Um, the, the next one is gift cards. So buying products from big retailers online like uh, Apple Card, Apple gift cards, um, Amazon, and so on, um, you'll be able to do that through uh, Rondo, right? Uh, because again, the, uh, the conversion happens in the back end, and the gift card, whichever one you're buying, that provider gets it in, in fiat currency. Um, then there's another element, which is travel bookings. So a lot of artists have got um, booking agents or managers, and they have to book a lot of accommodation all over the place. Now, it can be expensive, right? I'm sure you've had your own um, situations where you're booking accommodations and so on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so here, this platform that we're going to be working with, they've got over 600,000 different properties. They like booking.com, but on steroids using the blockchain and digital currency. Um, so by using the digital currencies, they have managed to work a way that you can actually save on an average booking anywhere from 20% to 40%, depending on time of year and country and city and so on. So anything like Airbnbs, all your traditional um, accommodation uh, requirements are on that platform already, and they're building at a rapid rate. So we're partnering with them to offer this solution that the artists or whoever, even the fans as well, whoever's got a is registered on Rondo, they can use any one of those three. Um, let's call them jump-off points. Okay. Um, another thing that fans can do is you'll be able to see who your artists are, that who the artists are, featured artists on the platform, and then they can immediately tip them with our digital currency. So 
uh, and it, it's peer-to-peer, which means it's direct and it's within seconds. So let's say you you're, you yourself, you're doing a gig, you've got a bunch of fans there, and some of them are on Rondo, they're having a really good time, they want to support you with the extra bits, they can then send you in real-time uh, tips, right? Um, yeah, you could even have a sign, <laughs> say, you know, on the front of your decks, I accept Fuck tips. yeah. Yeah. I absolutely would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, tips accepted here. Uh, just don't ask us to play um, some obscure track from the Bee Gees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you do, then you have you must at least send this much yeah. <laughs> crypto Yeah, in order for me to consider playing that. But yeah. yeah. So, anyway. so, you know, I tend to uh, be a little long-winded, but uh, you you asking for... I sort of scenarios where the artist can benefit. So that's one is to... This is perfect. Yeah, keep going. This is great. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Yeah, the other one's merch. So together with you guys as well, we're creating um, the store where artists can opt in to have custom design merch from you, from Pulse of Profits, right? Yes. Um, creative collective and uh, then have it on a store and then we would we could integrate that into our platform um, so that it gives artists an opportunity for another revenue stream okay um, and then of course there's the usual events and festival tickets also um, so that's another what we would call jump off point uh, because Fans are also going to be buying and trading and or, you know, getting digital currency in a multitude of different ways. They're going to want to convert and spend that. And this, I think, is a big um, psychological barrier, let's say, in, in the road to mass adoption for the digital currencies. Um, and and so we're we're looking at all of these different ways that it could be done, but we don't have to redevelop anything because there are solutions out there. So we're partnering with those clever companies that are doing it already, but we have got the user base, and we can grow with that as well. Um, and then a core element which is very important is the artist development fund. So um, if I go into the, the token specifics or tokenomics of uh, Rondo, we, hi, yeah? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. We have created 500 million R&D tokens on the Ethereum blockchain. And in our tokenomics model, we've allocated um, a, a portion to a percentage to marketing, percentage to the development of the platform, a percentage to um, the management team, and then also for outreach and airdrops and other marketing activities. And um, one of the core elements that we feel very strongly about is artist development and how can we, using this you know, digital currency, how can we benefit artists um, and so we've allocated 28 million R&D 
to what we call the Artist Development Fund or ADF. And um, essentially, if our token reaches a specific value of two cents, US, USD two cents, um, then that pool is valued at $560,000, which can be utilized in a mechanism where art, uh, struggling musicians, uh, students, they can apply for a bursary payment or, you know, to, for us to pay the cost of their education. So let's say somebody's got a year left at um, uh, audio college or, you know, they're doing production or something and they're struggling to pay it, they can apply to us and we have a core group of musicians and mentors and we would review each case and then we could allocate funds and pay in fiat currency. So we would do the conversion. You know, we worry about the nuts and bolts in the back end. But essentially, we can then pay grants out to artists to help further their development. Um, and that has always been one of the core principles of Rondo, really, is, is how can we help artists, emerging artists or artists from disadvantaged communities um, with a leg up, so to speak. Uh, so that's quite important to me and um, I want to really be part of the Rondo DNA as well. And that's an exciting initiative. Yeah, no, that is, that's, I really, really like that and fully on board with supporting that. However, and getting the word out, how, how does, like, how do you take, or how does, say, a coin or a token get to a certain value? Like you okay. said, if it gets up to two cents, like, how does it go from what it is now yeah. to, to that? Like, and, and yeah, I guess that has been one of my things that I haven't understood very yeah. well. So I'm, you know, I'm just wanting to know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm no financial expert. Um, but, you know, in, in my research over the last couple of years and, and uh, following some of the, the top sort of digital and cryptographers and, and people in the, in the space, um, it's, there's a, there should be a logic to it, right? You need a user base and you, you need a utility for the token. Now, if the utility and the user base have synergy, and there is a lot of activity, then theoretically, the value of that token would go up. Um, so an example of that is, it is important when what we are doing is initially we're doing a token distribution. So normally in this uh, crypto digital currency space, they call it an airdrop, or they do an airdrop and they, they would give away millions of their token to create the, the community or to get people in the community signed up in some way onto a platform um, and holding those tokens on their digital wallet. And so we're doing it a little bit differently in that we're doing a token distribution. So that just means our model is um, by targeting, first of all, the crypto savvy community they just contribute a small amount, which is the equivalent of a $1.20 to our 
Ethereum smart contract. Um, and as soon as they send that Ethereum, the smart contract sends them a base amount of tokens, right? Now, by doing that, we we have two um, two functions. One is we're raising a little bit of funds to help us develop the platform, and two, we're getting uh, token holders. So, the more token holders you have, the more power uh, leverage you have in order to get listed on stock on exchanges. Okay. <laughs> I, I digress there with stock exchange, not regular shares. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the way that works then is um, the, there are exchanges at multiple tiers. You've got your high end where they could charge up to $100,000 just to list one token, and that would be one pair, which means your token against the Bitcoin right? So then the value is measured against the Bitcoin um, and would, and also what your community buys and sells on the exchanges, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a chicken and egg scenario as well, though, because you need to have and build your user base and then ensure that you have a good mechanism and interest for them to want to have your token. And um, I think that's where the utility comes in, right? Um, and this is why we have a wallet, we have the debit card, we have the gift card, we have the travel. Um, so those are providing the use cases for the token and the incentive for our um, community, global community to utilize our token as well. Yeah. Um, another thing that we're also doing, though, which I haven't mentioned yet, is universal music income. So you're familiar with um, government subsidies for people. You know, if you're unemployed, you get X. What do you call it? Yeah. Eka? Um, Social security payments or what? Uh, um, they have... Like shit, I forget. I'm I'm blanking on the thing too. But they sometimes it was welfare. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. welfare payments. Yeah. Um, I think they call it something else now, but I yeah, I can't remember the politically correct term. So that's, that's what that's we're right. They probably have. Of course, everything's politically correct nowadays. Um, so yeah, the the universal music income stems from the concept of universal basic income, which essentially is welfare payments from government in different countries, right? And so here, um, our, um, our, our twist on this is essentially an artist would register on the platform. We would verify that they are indeed a actual artist because, of course, there are going to be um, scammers. There always is in every industry. Um, True. And so just to ensure that we get the right people on board, um, artists will be required to put in their mix cloud, their sound cloud, their beat port, their track source, whatever relevant um, links that can prove that they are a producing active artist, then we can verify 
on our side and then we can activate their account or profile. And once we do that, we give them a reward of X amount of token. So a large part of the 500 million tokens have actually been allocated towards the universal music income. So aside from the reward, every week they can then claim for the next six months. Now, why would we do that? Because we're giving them incentive to, and, and the ability to get the tokens. In the meantime, on the other side of the, this whole uh, ecosystem, of course, we'll be engaging with the exchanges to get listed where people trade the token against other tokens, right? Um, like against the Bitcoin and Ethereum and so on. And, and so that in itself drives value. Um, it's, it's really up to the community. You know, if, if I decide, let's say, I mean, someone tomorrow could, could drive down the price of Bitcoin, you know, right down to $3 um, if there was enough sell-off. And so it's a, the tokenomics, the economics of the, the digital currency, uh, while it is volatile, you can still have stability. So it does, it depends a lot on the community, right? Support and the amount of people that you have holding the tokens. And this is essentially why we incentivize by giving away. Uh, but at the same time, we created the mechanisms where they can then spend it, right? Um, in the real world. Because back to the original thing, all the platforms building on this technology and creating tokens have not thought about that next step of how do we use it in the real world. And um, so I think that then means that's our core um, use case and it's our niche in the market as well. Yeah, that's, that's okay. I've, I had a question for you. Um, sorry, a couple, but I'll just, there's one. What? How does the like exchange rate from say crypto? Because I, I mean, obviously, I know there's a lot of things that are building that are accepting crypto as payment. But yeah. if you know, just currently, if there's you know, just for a scenario, if there's an artist, like how does the exchange rate work? Does it vary a lot? What it would be from crypto to dollars? You know, depending on what they've received in crypto and if they needed something like if to pay for it would they only be able to do it with the crypto or if they wanted to say like you cash like use the debit card like does, can that exchange rate very quickly or is that stay kind of constant i guess you know so that way you think you have one amount and then if it changed now you don't have that amount and when the conversion comes or um i guess that's what i was always i'm kind of curious about yeah okay so um it's it's really in fact, of the exchanges, many all the data is linked because all the data is actually on the blockchain, and it's free and open for anyone. And because it's decentralized, it's distributed, and it's open source, it means that anyone with the right API can um, access that information. And then, so what the exchanges do um, is they aggregate all the content, all the information, all the data. Um, and then it brings it, gives them an average price. So if you go to a website like CoinMarketCap, 
it shows you um, essentially that's what they've done. They have taken data points from multiple exchanges and then it averages out what your the value is, right? Um, uh. And that's how it works. So are you looking for that website? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so that that's sort of how that would work. Um, it's the the applications that we use and so on. They would bring in all that data and that would work it out. So you don't have to physically, you know, in your brain think, okay, I need to, like, I need a calculator now. It's automatic. If you're using our uh, wallet, it'll automatically show you the value um, against the dollar based on the value against the Bitcoin, let's say. Think of Bitcoin as well, in a way, as digital gold. And so that's the gold standard of digital currencies. I know I'm going to get into trouble from some people like criticism because I'm saying digital currency all the time. I think it's friendly and easier to, um, you know, for, for non-crypto enthusiasts to um, relate to a digital currency. If you think about it, a dollar is a form of digital currency if you have it on a PayPal or a Venmo, you're sending digital value, right? Ones and twos. It doesn't physically exist, right? Um, so it's relatable. Something that is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, that mechanism, like I said, you know, we use Google, it's ubiquitous, it's in the back end. We don't worry about how it works. We just use it. And the same with, with the wallets, the mobile wallets, that we use the cards and, and converting. So let's say you go to buy a cup of coffee, right? Um, you have your mobile app and the machine at the terminal, the, the person says, okay, it's what, $3.99. Uh, you type in $3.99, $3.99. How do you guys say it? $3.99, yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so you'd put that in, in your wallet to send. So in, you know, you'd, you'd bring up uh, your wallet, it would have your balance, and then it would have send and receive buttons. You click send, and then it asks you to put input the value, so it would be three ninety nine, and that's it. It automatically works out based on the rate, which is uh, it's getting the data from the local exchanges, right? Um, it just, it w that's the back end. You don't have to worry about the nuts and bolts. Does that kind of make sense? It's yes, that completely makes sense, actually. I was going to ask yeah. you that, and you totally okay. answered all the questions. So, yeah. All right. I, I never know if um, I go too, I don't want to go too technical and sound like a, you know, um, <laughs> like a professor. Yeah. No, yeah, no, definitely not. You're doing, so that's perfect. That was, that was, I was curious about that too, like with between the digital wallet and the card, how, that works so that actually answered yeah. another question that I had. Um, okay. Yeah, because yeah, they so get perfect. they get the fiat, the you know regular yeah. currency. They get it paid in that. Uh, the transaction fee is minuscule. It's on. It's taken off your balance in the app, uh, in the wallet app, and that's it. Uh, it can be done very quickly. There's some networks like the Lightning Network. 
transactions are in milliseconds. Um, and, you, you know, then media, mainstream media are very, uh, they, they like to, um, what do you call it? Fear media, right? Or, yeah. uh, to coin a phrase from someone, fake news, uh, <laughs> and so on. But if you really get into, get past what the, the media, are, their story or their narrative, and you take a deep dive into actually using the digital currencies and getting a mobile app and putting a little bit of, you know, $100 in um, on, a, on an app and you start to use it, you'll see that the, the media are, are, are selling fear and and that is a narrative because it suits them together with central banks and so on. But the reality is there are millions of people using crypto digital currencies every single day. I myself have used um, digital currencies for over a year now. I don't have a bank account. I use my wallets. I receive payments in uh, digital currency. And then uh, currently, I go to an ATM, I withdraw cash, and uh, that's how I've been living for over a year now. So I know that it works. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's awesome because mm -hmm. I fucking hate banks. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and avoid, you know, you always wonder yeah. if there's like a, a different way. And I'm not, I'm very now, like, I'm fascinated by this now, like, especially like going into it more with you and then some people, like I said, all at once. I'm, completely like I want to learn about all of it and mm -hmm. figure out how to integrate it and I love what you're doing with it um, because yeah. obviously I feel that music is heavily undervalued in many ways and then there's a lot of difficult ways to even get to a decent living you know yeah. for, for any musician for any artist creator and 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 you know so ways like this and also I mean I think the universal music income um, thing is is amazing idea to help people out yeah to be able to to do the things that they need to do to create and not be so limited or like you said also have to wait for yeah. any type of payout you know years later correct um so that's really cool to to learn and 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 to know that you've been doing it such as that because i feel yeah. like this is definitely a it's a the direction that everything is going and should go because it's just way so much better between like how it all works how it's how everything you know you can't be fraudulent um it seems you know things like that so yeah once the transaction is done it's done you can't yeah. reverse it which is a good and a bad thing but more right yeah uh yeah and, but still there's you can still have that happen here too yeah you know regular and and you know if we go to the more philosophical or political type narrative thing, the uh, this all the talk recently about Libra Coin, Facebook, and the Libra Coin that they want to do, and the association of uh, twenty-seven companies, major companies, including PayPal, Mastercard, and Visa, that have uh, committed or had committed um, twenty million dollars towards the consortium. Um, which is called, uh, the wallet is called Calibra and the uh, Libra Foundation based in Switzerland 
So there were the Senate hearings recently, and they really lambasted the um, the, the head honcho of Libra. And, um, you know, there was a lot of negativity around it, right, because they see it as a, um, as a threat to central banking system um, yeah. by utilizing a digital currency. However, there's a lot of confusion if we look at that. Um, it's not a, a real cryptocurrency. And this is not being, you know, in the crypto sphere, we talk about it a lot in that um, they are saying, they're calling it a digital currency, but it's not because it's centralized still. They, if you get an account with Libra coin, right, or in the Calibra wallet, you have to do KYC, know your customer. And the, when you sign the agreement with them in the terms and conditions, you're signing over control to them. So let's say you start to transfer a lot of money and exactly like PayPal did with the other fellow, they can choose to block your account. They can choose to stop your ability to use the money. And on the other hand, they're saying, we want to help people, all the billions of people that are unbanked. But an unbanked person in the middle of the Sahara Desert may not have an ID or you know, they've got a, a, a simple telephone with a simple UI, maybe not even a touch screen, how are they going to do KYC, right, in order to be a Libra customer? So there's so many different levels and nuances to this thing um, because essentially it's a centralized platform. They may be using elements of blockchain technology for the distribution in terms of the... Um, the transactions and how the transactions work in the background. But at the end of the day, it's going to sit on their layer of, of um, servers, which means Libra and Facebook have got control. And that's not decentralized. That is the antithesis of what Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto actually um, meant and was talking about in his original white paper. Um, so I think what was his white paper. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. What was his, I, I could just look it up. I said, mm. what was his white paper? How's it put it in the notes? Okay. Well, is, is, uh, I can get you the URL. URL yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Um, yeah. Essentially the, his white paper, um, spoke about using decentralized technology, um, and the blockchain to create alternative sources of value, okay, or um, the peer-to-peer -peer, transferring of value person-to-person, peer-to-peer, yeah, um, using the blockchain as, as the ledger, so on, store of value from the Bitcoin. Um, so he was the original, he wrote it in 20, early 28, 20, 2008, sorry, and then um, the Bitcoin uh, development group, a bunch of nerds, essentially, computer cryptographs, um, they started writing the code and by the, uh, before the end of 2009, had already um, started doing transactions and, and putting the blockchain into reality. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, you, you know the famous story about the guy who bought two pizzas for 100,000 Bitcoin? No. Was it 10,000? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm getting my uh, things confused here. Let's just check. If you do Bitcoin pizza. I've not heard this story. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. Basically, uh, the guy's name was... Where is he? Let's see. Okay, Laszlo Hain... Hanich. So essentially, yeah, it was 10,000 Bitcoins. So he put out on, on a subreddit or, you know, a crypto forum. He said, um, I, I want to give 10,000 Bitcoins and I want two pizzas. So somebody replied in his uh, city um, and essentially went, bought the two pizzas. He sent the 10,000 Bitcoin to the guy and that guy brought the pizzas to him. So today, or at least, um, yeah, today that 10,000 Bitcoin is worth, times that by 10, basically $100 million. Uh, Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> but in, at the time, it was worth uh, 0 0.003 cents. So it was Damn. less than a less than a tenth of a penny or something. Yeah. Um, so that was the first... It wasn't the actual transaction on the network, but it was the first time someone used Bitcoin to pay for a physical product, physical thing. Holy shit, though. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And think of, you know, that's, that's quite an incredible story. So that happened um, on the 22nd of May 2010. That's nine. It's a good nine years ago, right? Uh, yeah. And so digital currency the blockchain thing it's only this as we know it it's only 10 years old it's a baby compared to regular fiat currency um and you know trading value such but it's come a long way uh, but there's so much growth still because if i look at current market cap here it shows um let's see 282 billion dollars but if you look at traditional stock market and you know world financial uh, markets that's in the trillions okay and if we just look at the u.s deficit um your, your debt ceiling has just been raised as standing at something like 20 plus trillion dollars you know i know we're kind of digressing <laughs> off the music that you know sort of Oh, that's okay. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is great. This is, this is super interesting. So I like okay. it. Let's keep going. Um, all right. So, so why don't we talk about another value propositions in terms of Rondo? Um, you know, there's so many different ways that we can add value to the music ecosystem as a whole and where we can um, reduce friction, right, and reduce the pain points and um, but also for fans, for consumers of content and for for experiences. So you've ever been to a festival, let's say EDC, no. You go to a festival, three-day festival, you buy your ticket, which comes in the form of a wristband or a band with an NFC chip, and you buy the tokens and the chip, the, to the tokens are loaded on the chip, right? On your band. Yeah. Um, so... 
an example could be it would be five dollars in five dollar increments right and um the beer would be ten dollars so let's say you loaded two hundred dollars at the end of the three-day festival you might have a couple of dollars left it would be increments of five so you might have ten dollars or fifteen dollars left but the festival's over you've gone out the gate and you remember i've got fifteen dollars left what do you do you lose it the the festival company promoters they're not giving you that money back because they've got a hundred thousand people who do that they get a couple of dollars on every person they're making a let's say a shitload of extra money there because uh not all the you know you've had a good time you leave and that's it so that is wasteful right but the 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 big festivals that run that do use this um uh these types of payment methods and so on um they take advantage i think of consumers and so that actually in what it does down the line is a means that consumers or festival goers music lovers can go to less events throughout the year right um because they're not always getting a refund or or you know they've lost that that bit of money um there there's studies or reports that an average festival goer per year would spend in excess of $2000 okay each person the yeah. the general industry they're saying by 2025 including travel festival tourism right so all the components that go to into it for for you to go to a festival that that whole industry could be valued at 3 or re- generating revenue of 300 billion dollars worldwide right and it's not a pie in the sky i mean currently it's over 100 billion it's massive industry right um and yet generally artists and the people in the back end just don't get that value especially also fans as well so we came up with uh, this one of the ideas we have is called a smart wristband the mo- the smart wristband has got um electronic device inside which is nfc near field communication chip together with a micro wallet and it it looks good it's it's kind of like think of it as a fashion wearable okay um like a fitbit it's a fitbit but with a, a built-in wallet yeah uh, so it's durable looks good you would buy it once the fans anyone who's interested in any type of music event or entertainment they pay one once off they get it if they lose it they have to buy a new one because there's a cost to to manufacture it right and distribution so our smart wristband essentially has got wallet nfc chip and access control um you buy your ticket for an event it can be a club event it can be a festival and so on that uh, ticket is loaded onto the smart wristband and that's it you you go to the venue they scan you in and then you're able to use the regular point of sale so instead of having to carry cash and or credit cards with you you've got your wristband you swipe your wristband to pay for your drinks merchandise or 
whatever concessions they have, depending on the type of event. And so that is something that we're going to actively pursue towards the end of this year and into next year, um, doing R&D and creating a prototype that we can then test in the market. And what does this do? Um, well, first of all, it, hopefully it'll look good. And um, second of all, it reduces all the waste. So you only spend what you spend at a festival, right? Because the balance is on your own smart wristband. And uh, so we think it's a great solution for live entertainment events and so on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you think of club side, uh, if you're, you have VIP access type situations, um, could get, you know, get your discounts or whatever perks a club wants to run, they could do that. Or it could be from you, the artist side, um, doing a distribution direct to your fans, right? So your profile on Rondo would give you the ability to engage with your fans as well. Um, so let's say you're doing an event, you want to give away a couple of tickets, right? You could do that and all it would mean doesn't mean any more physical tickets. You don't have to have a guest list <laughs> at the door, um, you know, or tell people oh, you have to come and collect your ticket at this store on this day at this time. It's, it reduces all of that logistical nightmare and just yeah. it's seamless and digital. So, you know, the more I think about it, I don't know, what do you think of it? I think that's awesome. And that just gave me, I mean, like as that builds, like I'm being able to use that, like because we throw events and being able to use that for after hours mm -hmm. and people just have the wristband and then also can just send it from a crypto wallet and then that way you have no cash exchange and people can get stuff at the door because like here mm -hmm. stateside when we show, when you throw events now you uh, especially after hours like um it cannot be a public event cannot be publicly advertised um and there can be no cash sales because if the cops for some reason come mm -hmm. they will take that cash and they'll just hold on to it and you don't get it back. And they will also say that if anyone has alcohol in there, that that was for the sale of that, even if it wasn't, it's, it's happened to our friends and stuff. Yeah. This is why I'm saying this, but so, you know, obviously like it's always pre-sale tickets and things like that. But if you were to able to do that, I mean, they have the wristband they've already, and they can do the transaction mm -hmm. via the digital wallet. Yeah. And then it goes to the wristband anyway, but you have no, any of that. And yeah, yeah, that, you know, just and just exclusivity for events and mm -hmm. and stuff like that too. People have to make sure they have the wristband, and if they don't, you know, yeah. um, you can do. You know, there's a lot of cool things that you could do with that. And just I love that idea because there's just a lot of things that get fishy surrounding money when people have control over it, like that. And so it just, especially in in our in the music and you know and fucking party scene, like you know events, like it's just there's a big there's a lot of little, there's a lot of gray area and a lot of it can get taken advantage of or can go against you. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, you always have to find these ways um, to try and be within the regulations and stuff, but also try and like have a good event and bring people together. 
Um, you yeah, know, you so that should be that, seamless. You want it to be hassle yeah. free. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So I, I, I fucking love that idea. I like. I, I'm all about that, especially because. I mean, it goes along with the technology that's developing at festivals and these kinds of things, yeah. especially, like you said, for waste, for safety, for so many different reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, to be able to distribute, you know, um, tickets to people that won automatically, like, oh, hey, you won, boom, it's been sent to you, yeah. show up with it, you know, that's so much easier than make, put them on the guest list. Yeah. And if they don't, and then they're like... I think it's revolutionary. You know, it, it takes... Um, I don't know what, like SeatGeek and all of those companies, they still have the app and then you can either print out your ticket or you show the scan and scan your barcode on the phone, right? Yeah. Now, those are great. And I think, but in a way, it's old already, old technology. And the, the older generation, um, people in, oh, I'm 50, but people you know, 35, 40, 50, they rely on, they would still, they wouldn't necessarily use the, the phone. They would print out the, the ticket and present that. Um, and so I, I think for the new generation, for the younger generation, we, we want, or they want you, <laughs> want things to be seamless and easier. And the technology allows that. So why not develop it? Why should we have these outdated methods um, that just, you know, Im imagine you would reduce the bottlenecks at entrances as well. Um, you know, something, I think an analogy is this. When you have a club that's got VIP, but they don't have a VIP entrance or line, so your VIPs are in amongst the regular customers, and they're fighting for the attention of the doorman or whoever, the concierge or whatever you call it. I don't know what you guys, uh, what the term is in America. Um, you ever run a club with or event where you had VIP? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, a lot of the, all the clubs have some, it's, you know, much more relaxed VIP mm. here in Denver than it is like Vegas VIP where like everything's fucking bottle service, Yeah. you know, but there's like VIP areas at the clubs, you know, um, that, that are utilized. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. So same with the festivals. Yeah. One of my bugbears and especially like I live in Israel, uh, they've got a different way of doing things here. So even if you VIP you stand in the same line, so you could know the, you know, you could even be the sponsor of the night. And I've had this happen to me here <laughs> where, but you have to wait. Like they don't have a, a separate line or uh, door where you go and they have your name on the list. They know, okay, you are VIP. Now you go in, right? Uh, avoid the queues, that sort of scenario. Uh, utilizing the wristband and smarter processes at uh, entry for venues can reduce all of that nonsense that happens. Because um, at the end of the day, it's an, about an experience, isn't it? If someone is willing to pay extra for a higher level of service to an event, right? Yeah. you've got to match that experience from the time that they receive the ticket. Um, they make their payment and they receive the ticket, in our case being 
you know, on the wristband to the time that they will, you know, to the time they walk through the door or access and then they enjoy themselves however, wherever. Um, and I think it'll, it's, it's often um, seen as different sides of the business. And so one has more preference or is given more attention in terms of the experience than another. Like I, I hear that, um, what's, what's that big uh, music thing in, in uh, where is it? Not LA, but uh, it just recently happened. All the flower kids. <laughs> Why is it escaped me now? Uh, EDC? <laughs> no, not EDC. The other one. No. In, um, uh, damn. It happens every month, every year in March or April, in April. Uh, Shit, I'm trying to think. It's a festival? Yeah, massive festival, um, April. I, you'll, you'll know it. <laughs> I don't know why I've gone blank now as well. I, uh, you can. Is it, is, <coughs> is it electronic music? Sorry. <laughs> this is driving me mad now, March. I know, I'm trying to look it up too. <laughs> First of all, Co- Coachella, man. It's Coachella. Oh, Coachella. Oh, fuck, yeah. Okay. And I, I was watching a lot about it, um, reports and so on, and, and the fact that they had multiple entry points and you had to walk uh, more than a kilometer, or I think in some cases two kilometers to the actual um, music areas. And... Um, there were lots of complaints about the the logistics, the way that they managed the the festival, and that they felt like um, cattle being herded into corrals, right? Um, but I guess that comes with many festivals. But it's it's uh, it's things that could be avoided by just having smarter processes in place, and I guess that's the main point: is blockchain. And digital currencies can provide for better experiences, both from the user fan music experience to the artist's engagement with um, the fan base as well. Yeah. That would fucking, I mean, I think personally that would really help at Burning Man because you would A, be able to cut down on the bullshit tickets and things that happen with people yeah. every year. You'd be able to regulate those kinds of things. You'd get people in quicker. Like there'd be so many like things that could be regulated through something like that than having all like the other stuff that's been, you know, happening that they deal with every year. And then especially the queue and just, you know, all of that um, on Gate Road. But, you know, just that's one thing that comes to mind. That, yeah, you know, could if if was embraced properly by, you know, everyone in that burner community, which I don't see why not. But if they could make it happen, then that would be something. So I think that would just cut down on a lot of the headache. Yeah, you know that they're dealing with with fucking seventy thousand people. <laughs> like you know, absolutely. Um, um, well, well, our goal is to try and raise funds so that we can start the R and D and look for the best. Um, sort of proven technology and solutions to put into the wristband. Um, might even work with like a fashion um, college or, you know, a bunch of student fashion students. Because um, I did that a couple of years ago. Every year in September here we have um, something called uh, Tel Aviv Tech Week, 
or something like that. And it's a massive sort of tech conference around the whole of Tel Aviv city. And they've got all sorts of things going on everywhere. And all the major players come to the city and, you know, all presenting their new tech and so on. Um, so I worked with uh, Fashion College in Tel Aviv and we did a fashion show on a boulevard. And I had some other, I was working with some other music tech guys. Uh, they created a box that you could use to stream music in bars and restaurants. Anyway, so I did the music. I'm not a DJ, but I did the music. And all they wanted was, I thought, okay, so you have four sets of, of uh, models that are going to be walking the runway. And each, each of the four sets was different wearable technology. But, you know, clothes, but they had function, which was really interesting. Um, oh, you, you know the song, uh, Happy by, um, what's his name? Will Ferrell? Uh, yeah. Uh, Pharrell Williams? Pharrell Williams, yes, yes. Will Ferrell, yes, yes. Ron Ferrell. Um, yes, so that song had just come out when I did the Sons, going back a couple of years. And that was the only song they wanted because I went with a bunch, you know, like a playlist. And I said, okay, so to build up the mood and, and so on, you know, and throughout um, from beginning to end for each group of um, models and each uh, designer, we should do this, this, and this. And they said, no, we just want one song. I said, what? They said, happy. <laughs> and so I played that song. I think we had four four sec sections or whatever, you know. Right. <laughs> I was sick of that song by the end of it. Um, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. But the point of that was I had worked with them, and so they are doing a lot of tech and fashion, you know, this hybrid stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it could be an interesting way to get also, again, students involved in the design process of this um, thing. Right. So, yeah, we, we want to get that going, and that's why we're doing the token distribution with minimum contribution of $1.21. Um, and like right now, if, if someone, you know, I don't know how, how many people are holding crypto or digital currencies and so on, um, in the music industry, like what, you know, what is the penetration level or at least awareness of digital currencies within the music industry? That would be very interesting. Yeah, true. I think it would be a good um, poll to take too, because I'm not. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I see it in know. music conferences like Amsterdam Dance Event and um, it's yeah. a music conference, and then IMF in in Ibiza. They've added, especially in the last two years, they've been adding more tracks. Uh, you know, or uh, sessions talking about blockchain technology, and and that's good, but there's there's still uh, you know a way to go. Yeah. So anyway, as far as our our token distribution is concerned, we have uh, the next one is so if someone contributes a dollar twenty one, then they get five thousand five hundred and forty R and D tokens. Right. Um, so the scenario is they would have their wallet, their My Ether wallet, which is a, 
a general easy-to-use wallet, um, and they would then transfer 0.006 Ethereum to the contract. So we wrote the code on the contract. It automatically distributes the token when someone sends that contribution. And this is, uh, you know, this is fascinating to me because we've essentially automated the process now, and that's direct. And then immediately, what happens is the the contract, smart contract itself, um, which is you know part of the the blockchain technology, right? Um, it automatically pays for, and it's it's approximately between three and five cents. Right, so it automatically pays for the transaction back to send the RND tokens to the person, the contributor. Right, and that's fascinating. It it took my uh, developer about a day to write the code and do some testing, and then um, so we we had it up and running in 24 hours, and it was just from an idea that I had of how we can create this automatic token distribution. It's nothing special because it's it's something that's been used in a multiple different ways with in the blockchain industry. Yeah, no that's that's amazing. I um I think now that especially that I've learned so much more because of you and everything that's been happening with all of this, uh like I'm like very very into it in ways that we can educate and I can help spread the word of that and educate everyone to get them, you know, especially musicians and, and fans to, you know, understand and start to utilize this and bring it, you know, and more, I mean, obviously you said there's millions of people that do already, but I think obviously take it to that next level and be able to like, you know, build the community off of that more. And cause I think there's just, especially like we were just talking about, there's so much amazing things that you can do alone, you know, with the wristband, with the wallet, with all those things to better distribute all of that. Yeah, we can talk in future about other elements within the industry and go, you know, do deeper dives, whatever, if you want to. No problem. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I do want to do, <laughs> only because of time, have yes. to wrap up right now, but I want to do a part two so we can discuss um, all the other things, especially with um, some more of your history and the things that we are working on together. Okay. Too. Yeah, that's important. Yes. Okay. Um, so we will definitely go into that and just make this a two-parter. I think that'll be perfect, actually. Okay. Because uh, this has been insanely, like, super informative, and I've, and now, like, I'm just, my brain is like on just like going, 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 just thinking about all of the like great things that can be done, yeah, with what you guys are building to and what exists now. Like it's really, really cool, especially in the music world because it's so everything is so undervalued, I feel. Yep. and artists just a lot of artists, unless you've like unless you've hit that that level, right? Where you're like touring full time or something like that, like there's there's a huge disparity between that. Yeah, there um, is between being the starving artist and at the constantly touring level um, to make a living off of creating your art, which is what people should be able to do because people want to support it. Yeah, and just there's the gatekeepers, like you said. I agree a hundred percent. Well, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
no, thank you for doing this. I'm looking forward to getting part two set up and continuing our discussion um, uh, and just keep going on this because this is amazing and fascinating and I've been, it's been a joy to like start this relationship with you and everything too. Great. Thanks a lot. Same here. Appreciate it. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. <laughs>